HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, on Heritage Radio Network. If you've been a regular listener of this season, and I certainly hope you have been, you will know that we've been spending a lot of time talking about how policy intersects with food media, culture, and the rise of social entrepreneurship, driven in large part by the food-obsessed millennial generation. Today, we're going to be talking about what you can do if you're one of those foodies, millennial or otherwise, looking for more information uh, on or immersion in the food space, particularly if you have dreams of starting your own mission-driven company one day. And to do that, I'm pleased to introduce our guest, Will Rosenzweig, currently the Dean and Executive Director of the Culinary Institute of America's Food Business School. Will has spent more than 25 years integrating the practices and perspectives of an entrepreneur, venture investor, and educator. An expert in cultivating and transforming impactful ideas into thriving enterprises, he was one of the founding CEOs of the Republic of Tea and has been involved as an entrepreneur and or investor in brands such as Adwala, Yumly, and Revolution Foods. Will, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jenna. Happy to be here. Great. Well, we're happy to have you. Um, So let's start. Can you tell me a little bit about the culinary education at CIA in general? Uh, Has has, has business typically been a part of it? Be happy to. Um, As you might know, the Culinary Institute of America is about a 70-year-old accredited college based in Hyde Park, New York. And we have campuses in California and in San Antonio, Texas, and also in Singapore now. And for many years has really been regarded as the premier culinary college um, in the world, um, teaching people how to become accomplished chefs and food service um, industry professionals. And over the last years, there's been a growing interest amongst the um, student body to uh, pursue careers in um, 
entrepreneurship and innovation and really beyond the kitchen. It's been, been fascinating to watch the um, rise of interest in applying culinary expertise to much bigger and broader problems and challenges. And so, and so with that came the rise of, with that, that growing interest came the rise of the Food Business School? Yeah, the um, the the provost and the president and the trustees of the business of the uh, culinary institute were very interested in thinking about how they could extend and expand um, their expertise and offerings. Um, this also comes at a time when we have a lot of chef leaders and heroes in the world, um, people who are influencing um, the whole food system. I mean, I think of Dan Barber. I think of. Alice Waters, I think, you know, just everywhere there are mm-hmm. people of great influence now. And so, um, yeah, they, uh, the CIA was contemplating what to do um, next in its own evolution and uh, a couple years ago decided that it would evolve from, with intention, from being a culinary college to a food university. There's a wonderful article in the uh, Wall Street Journal about CIA's aspiration to become the MIT of food. So the Food Business School is the center for executive and graduate education of the CIA. And we launched uh, a year ago uh, with a variety of courses, and we're on our way to being being able to offer um, a uh, program, a full certificate program in uh, food systems, innovation, and entrepreneurship. So you've taught at several well-known business schools over the years, including the Haas School of Business at Berkeley and the London Business School. How does this new venture at CIA differ from the others, in your opinion? Well, it's interesting. I, I, I have had the good fortune to teach at a number of leading universities, and I was actually the first professor of social entrepreneurship at UC Berkeley back in 1999. We sort of a couple of my colleagues call me the Johnny Appleseed of social entrepreneurship. <laughs> um, this and the call for this course was really came from the students. The students were um, very interested in how do you design and grow a business that reflects your personal values? How do you really integrate the values of positive societal and environmental impact into a business and and, and make that um, you know core to what you do? You mm-hmm. know currently. Capitalism is a bit schizophrenic. People make it in one pocket, and then when they feel good enough about that and that they have enough, they are inclined to give it away out of the other. But over the last 20, 25 years, there's been a real rise in the articulation of business models and strategies that unite these um, intentions. I mean, a company like Ben & Jerry's was way ahead of its time, right, back in the late 80s, who put its values about where it sourced its products how it paid its employees, what it stood for became integral to its um, its value proposition. So I started to, um, having done that at the Republic of Tea and, and having co-written a book that actually became a best-selling um, book and then a case study at business school campuses, I had been asked to... Um, to, to try to teach this subject and try to put it in a form that that could be um, institutionalized as a as a course and um, so that was the course in social entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and that 
by nature came to incorporate these values of corporate social responsibility, ethical leadership, and um, environmental sustainability. Now, what's interesting is if you go to most business schools in the world, those topics and those courses are still electives. Mm -hmm. So if you actually want to build a business that has a social impact, you have to take a social entrepreneurship course. It's not necessarily taught in the core entrepreneurship course. So I find that dichotomy, you know, both an opportunity and it's rather troubling to me. But the opportunity for innovation at the Food Business School is we actually incorporate those values into every course and curriculum that we teach. So we're trying to... um, develop the food systems intelligence of our um, leaders and have put them in a position where they can make informed business strategic decisions that have um, all these, all business decisions have economic implications, Mm -hmm. but we want every decision to also have an understanding of the ecological and the ethical implications of that decision. So so it's really embedding... Um, you know, these ideals, these missions into the overall corporate strategy as opposed to yeah. like having a separate CSR strategy. That's right. We don't, you know, we're, we're not here to define or advocate for any specific values, but we are here to teach leaders how to be systems thinkers and systems doers and systems leaders. And because the because food is a systems-based industry, and not just an industry unto itself, but it affects everything we do every day, our health, um, our environment, it affects um, the way uh, buildings are designed, mm-hmm. it affects the way cities are planned or need to be planned, and um, it puts this systematic kind of orientation at the heart of what we're doing. And then we combine that with the tenets of entrepreneurial education. So in addition to food systems intelligence, we're really trying to help our um, students learn how to develop entrepreneurial resourcefulness and the skill sets tool sets and mindsets of entrepreneurship and innovation. And so this brings a kind of a challenger mindset. We have to help people develop and fortify their ability to sort of challenge established um, and incumbent um, models that may not be working. And Mm -hmm. we certainly see a lot of those models in the food system that aren't working. And we also see, you know, to your 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 preface for this um, program, that policy, um, regrettably, often is reactive and trails um, needs or issues rather than anticipates them. So entrepreneurs, by nature, and recognize and anticipate emerging needs. Mm-hmm. And so we try to equip uh, our student leaders with the um, abilities and um, capabilities to um, you know, to Think transform what's next. Yeah. Uh, the, the system. So I, I have a question. Going back to um, your your comment on teaching kind of systems intelligence, could you, in essence, apply this education to other systems, or is it is it really uniquely to the food industry and world? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, systems thinking, I think, in general, is something that we need to apply to all parts of our lives. There's wonderful work done about how to think about one's life um, in the context of a system. So I think the the coursework's broadly applicable, mm-hmm. but what's unique about Food Business School is that we are focused in food. So the case examples that we use, the experts who are teaching, the mentors in our network, they're all food-centric. Um, and that's another thing that you won't find at a traditional business school. There may be one or two faculty members that are touching on food, but um, nowhere else will you find the kind of um, collection or harmonization of um, people and perspectives that are food-centric focused. So where where will these services um, be based? I know you said CIA is in New York, but has campuses worldwide. Where is um, the Food Business School, you know, the, this, this certificate program going to be housed out of? Yeah, our home, our home campus is actually in Napa Valley at a beautiful facility that's known as Copia. If, if you didn't need any more uh, uh, encouraging to apply. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but Jenna, what we're really trying to do is not only um, be disruptive and innovative in terms of our curriculum and our, philosophy, and our pedagogy and philosophy, but we're also trying to make our programs really accessible and affordable. So we're adopting a low-residency hybrid approach to education where um, a cohort of students in our certificate program will come together to get to know each other in person over brief and intensive um, meetings, but about 80%, maybe a little bit more of the actual learning will take place online in a very um, progressive social online learning um, environment. And we're very excited about this because it enables us to do a number of things. One is we can reach a much broader group of people. Um, That's Mm -hmm. very important to us. Already, just in our first nine months of operation, 35% of our students are coming from around the world. So These are for the other other programs that you guys... That's without us doing anything, but, you know, putting, making our courses available. The second thing is it'll make it much more affordable and we know that, you know, it's very difficult today for somebody to consider going into debt um, for their education when the prospects of how they're going to apply their education are uncertain. So we want to make these, um, this education and the experience that they'll get during the education and the contacts that they're going to develop, the industry network relationships that they'll develop, to be very affordable and for it to be a no-brainer that the investment in spending a year in a program like this part-time. Again, it's designed so that you can do this while you're working. Mm-hmm. You don't have to give up your job. Um, and That's so you great. can do most of it online and you'll build lasting friendships and um, you know, relationships with people that'll be instrumental to your your career. As a matter of fact, just yesterday I heard from one of our uh, students who's in the Food Venture Lab, and um, this the Food Venture Lab is our 15-week course that helps people transform an idea into an actual business. 
and we have um, one of our students is getting very close to raising um, their seed round of capital, which is very exciting. They have a breakthrough um, opportunity in renovating the supply chain around an heirloom vegetable. I won't say more about it mm. now, but the good news was that he told me yesterday, sort of in confidence, that he was going to hire one of the other um, students in the class to join him on his founding team to be kind of his um, uh, business and um, sales manager um, guru. So I was just very excited about the kind of serendipity to see people with sort of common uh, interests and intentions find each other in the founding of a business. So not only can you keep your job and, and work while you're going to school, but you can also, it's affordable and you can make connections for your next job. <laughs> sounds, yeah, exactly. Well, in great. the Food Venture Lab, it's actually really designed, um, there's a few people in it who are working on something full-time. There's mm-hmm. a there's a physician and then there's a, a talented woman who's worked in, um, in marketing and brand building in India, and she wanted to come to California to work with us um, to bring sort of the principles of health and sustainability to products in India because she sees a growing market for that. And she's working on on it full time. But many of the people in the class are, are you know, juggling um, day jobs and, you know, but have an, ins- an aspiration, a, a dream of launching their own business. And we provide really the springboard, the framework, the encouragement, and, of course, the core um, concepts and um, education that they need. You know, getting into the food business is actually pretty easy. Mm-hmm. The barriers to entry are pretty low. And everybody, because they're an eater, many, many people feel that, you know, they're an expert. So you see a lot of people getting into the business. They're, um, you know, creating their own product, setting up a table at a farmer's market, opening a food stand. You know, it's very easy to get in, but the business itself is incredibly difficult to actually succeed in over the long term, Mm -hmm. especially in a way that takes into account the health and sustainability of of people and planet, you know, and and it's just the nature. The supply chain is complicated. Food safety is complicated. I mean, um, the the health and nutritional aspects is complicated. Labeling and the legal and policy framework is complicated. So this is why we really think we need a food business school. Yes, dedicated these issues specifically. Well, we're going to um, I'm going we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear a word from our sponsors and when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit more about your personal experience in the industry and um, of course, as always, get into some of these uh, interesting policy regulatory questions around food. All right. Hi, this is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network. 
and we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MoFad Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing Flavor, Making It and Faking It. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami, and the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFad Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today we're speaking with Will Rosenzweig about his new role as the Dean and Executive Director of the Food Business School at the Culinary Institute of America. Well, I said new, but you've been in the role for, what, since 2014, Will? Is that right? Well, we launched just a year ago in in March of 2015. So we're, Jenna, we're kind of like a startup, too, because <laughs> yeah. we're rethinking the way um, graduate and executive education can be designed and delivered. So um, we have a right. very small team, but we're also, of course, drawing on the resources of, um, you know, this very established and respected um, culinary college. And so it's a fun collaboration. We're, we're in a way kind of an innovation lab for the for the college itself, um, and so we're learning a lot with our fellow um, faculty, and um, we're pushing the boundaries on what you can do with technology. And the other thing that's really fun is that we're bringing in faculty. Um, many I'm very lucky. Many are friends of mine who are teaching um, courses in other colleges um, that just aren't accessible to. Um, a much broader audience. So a couple of my colleagues at uh, UC Davis, one of my colleagues at UC Berkeley, um, and others are preparing online courses um, for the fall and for next uh, winter that will be broadly available. So if you're, you know, if you're not in the uh, Masters of Public Health program at uh, UC Berkeley, you would never get a chance to participate in Eat, Think, Design, which is a design thinking, creativity, and strategy course um, that we'll be offering online in the fall. And similarly, we're uh, developing courses. One is called Essentials of Food, I'm sorry, Essentials of Nutrition and Sustainability for Food Innovators. And this this really goes to your audience, um, Jenna, because Mm -hmm. that will cover sort of the core policy issues, the core science issues um, related to health and sustainability for food. And, you know, conventionally, nutrition and environmental sustainability are taught in completely different departments of the university. Right. Um, so if you go to Davis or Berkeley, you, you it's difficult to knit those together if you're in, um, you know, one of the schools. But again, here at the Food Business School, we're able to innovate and bring together um, an integrated vision of how to approach business um, for the 21st century. So let's talk about policy for a minute. Um, I'm wondering if there are, you know, in your opinion, any significant barriers for people who want to begin a food business from a policy perspective? Um, and, And moreover, how can policy institutions, unlike the other side of this question, how can institutions better support businesses who want to do well, do good in addition to doing well? 
One of the greatest challenges in the food business is that the margins are very small um, just by the very nature of how many people are involved with um, moving um, food from the field, you know, to the fork. Mm-hmm. And um, historically, the all of the, you know, that, that, um, system, which is called a supply chain, has been pretty opaque um, to the consumer. Um, we don't really often know where our food comes from, or how it's grown, or who's grown it, or what the person was yeah, paid who grew it. Yeah. And so there are, um, you know, from a policy perspective, there right now in the United States, in particular, there's a lot of policies that um, subsidize industrial agriculture and make certain products. Um, like corn and soy and other commodities quite cheap and the the or because they're subsidized maybe the the real cost of those ingredients is not um, reflected mm-hmm. in in how they reach the market so that creates unfortunately kind of a perverse incentive to use you know products like high fructose um, corn syrup, corn syrup mm-hmm. in products like sodas and and baked goods and you know other things, and as we now know, you know excessive um, sugar um, often leads to diabetes and obesity and a whole host of fun disease. problems. So there's, <laughs> right, so there's a whole host of costs on the other end of that subsidy that come out that the government ends up paying in higher um, healthcare costs. So I think we're just starting as a culture to get our hands on this and starting to see, um, you know, policies that are changing incentives. The Clearly, the Affordable Care Act took on um, the need for more preventive uh, mm-hmm. health approaches, but the Farm Bill is sort of slow to um, respond to that. You know, right. what, what we have seen the USDA do, which is very positive, is invest in more um, organic um, uh, agriculture, more local agriculture, mm-hmm. uh, more education. Um, I think another area, you know, to me that's been just terrific, um, a terrific example of, of sort of policy and leadership in Washington has really been the First Lady's Let's Move campaign. It's been spearheaded by Sam Cass and Deb Eschmeyer, um, who've just done a great job at, you know, sort of um, educating, cajoling, pushing where necessary, but really representing with a a positive um, approach, you know, the importance of school lunch. And, you know, this is an area that I just care uh, a great deal about and have been involved with for the last 10 years through my um, association with Revolution Foods, mm-hmm. um, you know, just knowing that there are 16 to 17 million people in the United States that go to bed hungry, and many of them being children, um, and that when we look and see what kind of food is served in most schools, we're just setting people up for failure in their life. So. Um, to see the opportunities to both from an entrepreneurial perspective, like with a company like Revolution Foods, which 
I was just fortunately on a board call with them this morning, and I learned that they just served the millionth meal this year wow. in this in the San Francisco Public School District, and they had a golden coupon to the student <laughs> who got that, so they had a big celebration. <laughs> but you know, this is pretty amazing of going from uh, you know uh, working with one charter school in Oakland and serving say 65 meals in a day to now serving almost two million meals a week. Yeah. around the United States in seven states um, and like 20 different um, communities. It's a big reach. It's really remarkable. Yeah. And what happens is when you can influence the taste buds and the palate and the expectation, not just for the taste of the food, but the quality of that food and where it comes from and help the kids understand what organic means, what natural and sustainable agricultural practices mean and what that means for them and their well-being and their family's well-being and their community's well-being, you have a transformational moment. And you're so. creating the next generation of foodies. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, this word foodie, I think um, you and I talked a little bit about this before, yeah. but, you know, we, we definitely have a foodie movement going on, and we need to work, I think, hard to help people wake up beyond the sensory experience of um, the discovery and the exploration. It's really fun. You know, it's fun to take pictures of food. It's fun to go to new restaurants. Mm -hmm. It's fun to explore. It's fun to cook. All of that's great, but we also have to be very mindful of what we're doing. You know, and I think, as you mentioned earlier, I think the millennial generation has such an opportunity to not only um, express that curiosity and that need to discover but also do it in a way that, that, that that's awake and and mindful of the implication of choices. Right. So we can we can have a huge difference. Uh, we can make a huge difference in the world if we choose to um, support or purchase um, a product that's been you know sustainably or or organically produced. And if we can be aware of paying the fair price for those products, mm -hmm. and then if we want more of those products, we can also add advocate to our um, politicians that we would like um, incentives and we might like um, you know subsidies changed or shifted to create a fair playing field so I think that there's a great there's a great range for food entrepreneurs and innovators to to um, create a healthier and more sustainable food system and there's just Tons of opportunity. There's right. tons of opportunity to apply technology in ways that it, it never has, um, and it still remains, you know, very, very difficult. So we have to be both. We have to we have to have a both and mentality. You know, we have to both be great. Um, awake consumers. We have to be um, inspired and intentional entrepreneurs, and we have to be active in changing um, the rules and the policies that undergird the whole um, system in which we work. All of which you can get at the food business school. <laughs> it seems like, yeah, after, after talking. Okay. So I know that, um, um, we're going to have to wrap up quickly, but I, I want to ask you one question, not to kind of give, you know, give it away, but if you would say, if you could point to like one, the, the next big kind of advocacy priority that a business or an entrepreneur can capitalize on, um, what would, what would you kind of think, what would that be? Well, I think there's a couple areas um, right now. Again, I think it's it's really all about um, food quality that is um, 
that is produced and farmed in a healthy and sustainable way. So I think policies that that support that. And I think also policies that um, really take in the real uh, price of food from labor um, to production so that um, there aren't unfair advantages for people who want to do things that are healthier and sustainable and that they can compete on a fair uh, playing field. So that that's where I would, you know, focus my attention. And that could be that could be um, manifest in terms of what the school lunch program reimburses, for instance. Mm-hmm. But from a, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you think that it is possible to kind of address some of these issues and remain po- po- you know profitable as a for profit business. Absolutely, it's absolutely possible. It's just really hard. It's right. really hard work. It's 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 continuous improvement. It's having a re- you know you have to as a food entrepreneur you have to be very creative and innovative, and you also have to have a mind for every penny. You mm-hmm. have to have a really sharp focus on being able to integrate both the creative and the economic um, in, a, in a very effective manner. But in doing so, it seems like you can have such an enormous impact on not just the health and well-being and enjoyment of your of your customers, but also on the broader environment and, and well, and that's where the movement is, right? Because people yeah. will follow that. I mean, that that's the example again of Revolution Foods. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, starting with one charter school and now influencing you know millions of kids and their families a week. That's and and the people who have joined that company from big companies. You know, they've they've jumped ship from other companies that didn't have the values or the commitment to to this mission, um, they've also attracted the capital of investors who believe in this um, vision for the future. And you know, it's 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 way beyond it being altruistic. It's because it's the right thing to do, and it's um, ec- it's going to be economically rewarding as well as an investment. Okay, I actually I lied. I had one more question. I know that we're over time, but I this is something I've been um, I constantly wonder. What advice would you give to consumers? Who who are kind of looking to navigate the difference between those businesses that are actually making a difference, like Revolution Foods, and those that are greenwashing, for lack of a better term. you got to slow down and take the time to be a awake consumer. You can't be in a fast food mindset rushing from one place to another. You have to question what's going on. You have to look beyond the labels Mm -hmm. and then you have to be active and challenge those companies. You know, what is that ingredient? Where does that come from? What are your agricultural practices? What are your labor practices? You have to make what is currently invisible visible. This is why labeling laws and labeling policy is so critical as well. Mm -hmm. We need to, we need fair and transparent systems. And we have to be, you know, there's a lot of people that would don't want that. They claim it's going to make their lives really complicated and expensive. And yes, it will. But I just believe that, you know, we need to be moving toward, um, you know, more transparency. So that I think that's an area where I think um, consumers can say, hey, is what I'm looking at transparent? Do I know how many calories 
are in that product. Do mm-hmm. I really need to buy a croissant that's three times the size of the kind they bake <laughs> in France, you know, at my <laughs> coffee shop this morning? Yeah. Is that 400 or 600 calories? Couldn't I have a croissant that was 100 calories? Right. You know, so it's to me, it's asking, it's sort of questioning the conventional wisdom and, um, and then acting with our, our wallets um, in a way that... Um, you know, our shows and demonstrates our values. Yep, voting with your dollars. Well, I definitely think it's um, encouraging to, to to think that you can you can do both in terms of doing the right thing and um, and being successful. So, um, all right. Uh, before we wrap up, can you tell me where we can where our listeners can go for more information on um, on the food business school and and uh, where their your applications are for certain courses? Yes, please. We uh, we have a dedicated website at foodbusinessschool.org. and of course, you can learn much more about the Culinary Institute and all of its activities at culinary.edu. All right. Well, I'm going to have to cut it off. I'm going to make myself cut okay, it off. Jen. I know you've got a deadline, but we really, I could talk to you forever. And I really, really appreciate you joining us on the program today. My Thank pleasure. You so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going to leave it there for today. Big thanks to my guest, Real Ro- Will Rosenzweig, for joining us. Our show is produced by my brilliant co-host, Kim Kessler, and myself, and our wonderful intern is Austin Brunierski. Show music is by the very talented Tim Archer. I want to thank our sponsors and our show engineer, David Tedashore. The show is available on Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find us on Twitter at Eat Matters HRN. I'm Jenna Liute, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.